I'll, I'll begin just by reading what is in the book, and I'll, I'll use that as sort of my template for my, my own introductory comments. He says, it begins by explaining the word immutable. The word immutable comes from the Latin word immutabilis. And he goes into how this word comes to us. In or M would be the prefix, uh, meaning not, and then mutabilis, mutable or changeable. So the word immutable means not changing or not able to change. Other words such as unchanging or constant and faithful are helpful in understanding this divine attribute. These are words like constant and faithful are, are almost derivative ideas or, or fruits that come from His immutability. We would say because God is immutable, He is constant. Because He is immutable, He's faithful. Now let me give you some other definitions from some other men of the past. Gerhardus Voss defines immutability as that perfection in God whereby He is exalted above all becoming and development as well as all diminution and remains the same eternally. So as we, we, we spoke of God when we spoke of His eternality, we said He is above or He is he is beyond the limits or the scope, the boundaries of time. Well, here He is beyond or outside of the limits of His Word, becoming or development. You see, creatures like ourselves, we are always changing. So in a sense, we are always becoming something. We're always um, advancing, even if it's just an age. God is above that. We're always developing, developing an age. Some of us developing in size, always moving. God is beyond that. He's outside of that concept as well as all diminution. That would be the opposite, reduction or lessening of any sense. He's beyond all of that. He's exalted above all becoming and development. He remains the same eternally. So eternity, remember, outside of the bounds of time and He is the same in that in, in that eternity. A.A. A. Hodge defines it this way. It says, He cannot be changed by anything from without Himself, and He will not change from any principle within Himself. Those are just some other ideas to, to or some other words to put this idea of immutability in your mind. Now, I'll, I'll continue reading. He says, The immutability of God means that He never changes in His attributes or counsel. This morning on the way down the road, we were walking through a little bit of the catechism, and one of the questions is, uh, can God do all things? Well, the answer is yes, God can do all His holy will. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa let, me, let me interject, let me, let me create a new catechism question. What are some things God cannot do? And we, some answers were thrown out. There are some things that God cannot do. Change is one of those things. He cannot change. Just as He cannot lie, He cannot change. I'll continue. God does not grow, evolve, or improve. He is already perfect. He cannot diminish, deteriorate, or regress, for then He would no longer be God. Whatever God is, He has always been and always will be. 
He does not change His mind or overrule one decree with another. We'll come back to that later. He does not make a promise and then change His vow. He does not threaten and then not fulfill. If God were to grow or evolve or improve, well, that would mean that prior to that improvement, He was not perfect. He just improved. He got better. Therefore, He was not God. And then He became God by His improvement. If He were to diminish or deteriorate or regress, well, that means if He was perfect, well, now He has ceased to be perfect. Again, He's no longer God. He just went from being God to not being God or being not God. And this cannot be. All of these kinds of changes require a sequence of moments. In one moment, this would be descriptive. And then in the next moment, this would be descriptive. A change has taken place from one moment to the next. Without moving from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, there can be no Change. Now, we saw two weeks ago, God is eternal. There is no sequence of moments in and with God. Therefore, there can be no change with God. He is not a moment by moment becoming. He is true, perfect being. We are becoming. We are advancing. We are, we are uh, moving along the timeline of history, you, you might say. He concludes by saying this is especially comforting since the possibility of an almighty God suddenly becoming evil or suddenly changing His mind is utterly terrifying. The immutability of God is one of His most important attributes because it guarantees that He and His Word will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 He is the only constant in the universe, the only one worthy of absolute trust. God is... Immutable. Now, like we have seen in several chapters previously, we begin with the name of God. And, and some have postulated, and I think it's possible to draw out pretty much every essential attribute of God from the very name of God. And that's what we see in Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That sounds like an odd name. And it is. Because it's completely other than anything we can comprehend. We've pointed out before, God needs to add no qualifier to His name. He doesn't have to say any more than simply, I am. Why? Because God simply is. Now, how does that point us in the direction of immutability? Well, First, it clearly conveys other attributes that we've seen like eternity and aseity, which would imply immutability, but also because it distinguishes God as the only being who needs no further designation. See, for me to say, I am, that, that's an incomplete reference. That, that's inconclusive. There must be more with you and I. With God, for Him to say, I am, is all-inclusive and, and comprehensive. That sums up the matter. It, it, I can't say, I am. It, I must say something else, like, I am Paul. Well, immediately, I have alluded to, to several things. I, I was given a name at birth by my parents. 
I was born, which means there was a time when I was not, and then there was a time when I came to be, and my parents designated me with a name to point out this is a, a separate one from all of the other creatures, all of the other human beings. I underwent a change from not being to being. There was a time when my parents were not parents. They were just a married couple. Then they became parents. They underwent a change from not being parents to being parents. I am of their kind, so I also am mutable and changeable like them because we're mutable, changeable creatures. I might say, I am over here, which, which would imply that I could be here or I could be there, I could be somewhere else, I can move from one place to another, I'm changeable, I'm mutable. If you try to be where I am, I, I tell this to my kids often, where I am you cannot be. You can't stand in the same spot I'm occupying. It won't work. But if, you, if we try to do that together, we're going to run into each other and there will be a change. We will be uh, affected from the outside. One of us will be bumped one way or the other. Somebody might fall down because we're mutable creatures. All of that is implied when we add those qualifiers. I am Paul. I am here. I am this age. I am that age. I am hungry. We're, we're describing all of the things that are creaturely changes in us. But God can say, I am. And that is the complete, all-encompassing assertion of His being. There was never a time when He was not. He is eternal, therefore He is immutable. There's no place where He is not. He's omnipresent, therefore He's immutable. He doesn't go from here to there. He is simply. So again, we see His name conveys this attribute of immutability. Another name we see in Deuteronomy 32.4, so turn there. Moses, let's read 3 and 4. Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, His work is perfect. For all His ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. God is here referred to as the rock. In many places in Scripture, He takes this name. He's the rock or, or a rock, a rock of refuge. A rock is representative. We're, we're, think, we're not thinking of a little rock in the creek. We're thinking of a big, massive, like mountainside rock. It's representative of that which cannot be moved. Though everything around it moves, the rock can't move. The, a, a rock at the edge of the sea, though the waves crash against it, the rock remains Steadfast. That's the picture here. It's an illustration of God's immutability. While all creatures are by nature subject to change, subject to mutations, God is immutable. He's unchangeable. The rock is what He's called. But then it says, His work is perfect. It's perfect. Not only is God immutable in His nature, but also His works are perfect. To say that something is perfect is also to imply immutability. It can't get any better, it can't get any worse. 
God's nature is perfect, so it can't undergo any change for better or worse. But God's works are also perfect. God's works cannot undergo change for better or worse. We can't, there's no way that God could backtrack and say, let me, let me redo that. Let me try it again. I think I can do it a little better this time. No, it's, it is perfect. Immutably perfect. A God of faithfulness without injustice, righteous and upright. To say that God is faithful is to say that He's worthy of our trust, that He's dependable, that He's true. Something that is capable of change. This applies to every one of us. Something that is capable of change cannot be supremely, ultimately dependable. We can be dependable to an extent. And we might be dependable as far as a human being can be dependable. But there will come a day when somebody will come to my house and somebody will have to answer and say, Paul White is no more. You can't depend upon him anymore. He doesn't live here. He's gone. He's he's buried somewhere. God is ultimately, immutably dependable because He doesn't change. These other traits that that it gives, He's without injustice, or we would say He's just. He's righteous. He's upright. These attributes are only comforting to us if God is immutable. We can depend upon Him to be just and righteous and upright only if He's immutable. It doesn't say that He's just most of the time, that He's a God who is often righteous, or that He's a God who is usually upright. No, God is immutable, so even these attributes, they need no qualification. He is faithful. That's who He is. Just as He is, so He is faithful. He is without injustice. He is righteous. He is upright. Anytime, anywhere, from everlasting to everlasting, these things are true of God because He's immutable. He can't change. He's the rock, Moses is saying. Now we have, in our day, we've sort of advanced in our capabilities so that even if I describe or use the language of a rock, you might think, well, that's not really an, an adequate illustration. Even, even a rock, if it sits under a waterfall long enough, eventually it's going to become smooth. It will change. It will alter. A rock can be drilled through. Dynamite can blast it away. More sure than any single rock on our planet is the very earth itself which upholds all rocks. But even the earth itself is a weak metaphor for God's immutable existence. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. All of these, these creaturely things that we say, well, that's constant. If I drive east far enough, I assume I'm going to hit an ocean. If I drive west far enough, I'm going to hit an ocean. I'm going to go through mountains. These things that we just assume, they're unchangeable in our limited perception. The Scriptures say all of these things are mutable. They will undergo a change. Though every created thing that we know can and will someday be moved and changed, God remains our refuge. God is our refuge and strength. He is immutable. So God's name and His titles reveal His immutability. Next we move to look at several texts which 
set forth God's immutability in the form of propositional truth. They just state it. So turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. And you'll notice many of these passages are used over and over again. There are, there are what we would call... Um, People use the word locus classicus, you know, specific texts that you run to time and time again because they set forth a, a particular trait or several traits very clearly. Psalm 102 is one of those. Verses 25 to 27. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like a clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Again, the comparison is being made between God and the creature. When we describe God as immutable, we're giving a negation based on everything we know as creatures. Everything in the, in, that is creature, everything not God, is Mutable. That's all we know. So if we're going to describe one who is holy, completely other than all creature, then we have to use negations. We're, creature equals mutation, mutability. Well, what is God? Well, He's not mutable. He's immutable. That's what the, the psalmist is doing here. These other things that are typically steady realities in our experience, and yet they will change. However, we, we might try to understand what's going to happen at the end of the age, what we call the conflagration of the elements. Whatever that's going to look, at, look like, we do understand the created elements are going to undergo something mighty, something uh, astonishing. They're, they're, they will not remain the same. They'll wear out, they'll perish, they'll come to an end in some form, and yet God does not change. God endures forever. God is the same. God is not older now than He once was. God is not bigger now than He once was. God is not smarter now than He used to be. God is not getting any better or any worse. That's another thing God cannot do. God cannot learn. God cannot advance. God cannot improve. He's the same. He's unchanging. The God who performed the mighty wonders that we read about in Scripture. Mighty things in the past. Remember, there is no past to Him. And He is the same. He's not changed. He's the same God. He's not like an old athlete that has to talk about bygone days when he used to do this and that, but now all he can do is you know, be a commentator because he's, he's gained weight and he's not really athletic anymore. God's not like that. He's the same God. Nothing's changed. The God that we read about in the Bible, the things that we're reading about Him, these statements and assertions of who He is, we, we could read them as if the ink was still wet. It's still exactly true. It's, it's, this is not old. We could almost say there is no old truth. It's simply truth because it comes from God. He is unchangeable. The next passage is Malachi 3.6. Turn there with me. Malachi 3.6. This is probably the, the most simple 
most clear assertion of God's immutability that there is in, in all of Scripture. And also, it is connected with the, the, the greatest usefulness of this, this doctrine. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Notice how this verse works. First, this is, this is a first-person testimony from God about His character. I, the Lord, do not change. It's not going to get any more simple or any more perspicuous, more clear than that. I do not change, He says. Directly from God Himself, about God Himself, in the first person, yes, all of Scripture is the Word of God, is God-breathed, but there are times when God makes assertions like this that, that we will see in a minute we should use to interpret other statements to help us understand God's Word. This is a statement about who God is, not about some act of God in creation. There are no anthropomorphisms here. I do not change. Pure divine assertion. He just states the fact. So what do we learn? God does not change. God is immutable. But then we have this application. Therefore, because God does not change, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. A reference to His people. God's immutability is the ground of the confidence of His people that we will not be consumed. All of the wonderful doctrines of God's grace and salvation don't amount to a hill of beans if tomorrow God can change His mind. It doesn't, we, can, we can sing and shout and praise the Lord all day, but if it's possible that we wake up tomorrow and He's different, then it's all in vain. But He cannot change His mind. He cannot change His eternal decree. He cannot change His purposes. He cannot change His covenantal promises to His people. Now some might read this and say, well that sounds like, like a weakness in God that He can't change. But remember, God is perfect. For Him to be able to change would be a weakness. This is not a limitation for Him. This drives us back to God's name, this application. I am, or, or Yahweh. As we often point out, when we read the name of God this way in the Scriptures, Yahweh, I Am, the, the, the capital word, all caps, Lord, it's a reference to what we will say the covenant name of God. The, the, the name that God revealed to His covenant people as a, a, a special revelation of Himself to them as they are in covenant together. I am who I am, or as we've heard before, it, some would read it, I will be who I will be. Now think about that. Will be, that's time language. Who's that for? It's not for Him. That's for us. It's a direct reference to who He is for His people. He is for us, but we are in time. So He says, I will be for you who I always have been or who I am. I am for you, we might say. This is His name. The people of God are not consumed, but rather saved 
Because God has made Himself known to us by way of an immutable covenant of grace. We are in an immutable covenant made by the immutable God, sealed by the blood of His immutable Son, sworn by an oath on the name, this name, of the immutable God Himself. There's no more confidence than that. If you come to God through His Son, which is what God wants you to do, by the way. God wants you. He commands you to come to Him in and through His Son. Your eternal salvation is more sure than anything you can even comprehend. It's more sure than your hands hanging off the end of your arm right now. Because one of these days, that hand's going to not be hanging there anymore. It's going to rot away if the Lord tarries. This is more sure than that. So the immutability of God is a great comfort for the children of God. We, we, we do find comforts and, and, and encouragements to our assurance as we look at the manifestation of God's grace in our lives. But supremely, we look, we trace them back up to the immutable God who said, I will produce these things. If that changes, again, we've got no hope. He said yesterday He would produce fruits of the Spirit, but I mean today, I don't, what is the standard today? What, what might He be doing today? Well, that would give us no assurance. You see, all this is the ground, the bedrock of our confidence in Him, who He is. He's unchangeable. James 1.17, every good thing, or every, yeah, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. We've seen this before. With God, there isn't even a, sh a shadow of shifting change. The sun casts a shadow by the, by the dial on the ground. They, they have a relationship. As the sun moves, a shadow comes. God is not affected by any changing thing. There's no shadow cast by things moving around God. That which changes does not affect a change in Him or around Him or by Him at all. And then, of course, we, we've already referenced Hebrews 13.8 of Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this obviously applies to the divine nature of the Lord Jesus. His human nature is subject to change like ours. Now, in its glorified state, it's not like ours, but His human nature is mutable. But the divine nature is not, of the Son is not mutable. As I pointed out before, what we read earlier from Psalm 102 about the, the, the created elements being rolled up like a scroll or like a, like a robe, that's a reference to the Son of God in Hebrews 1. Now that's, that's important to point out because there are some who would claim that there must be a change in God because of His acts like cre creation or the incarnation. They would say, well, God at some point went from, be from being not the Creator to the Creator. Or there, there had to be some sort of change in the second person of the Trinity if He's going to assume to Himself the nature of a man. So we have to remember, no, God is immutable. All, all three persons, having the one divine essence... God is mutable the, or immutable. The Father is immutable. The Son is immutable. The Spirit is immutable. Creation is mutable. Creation changes. The human nature of Christ is a creature. 
But God, according to the divine essence of His being, remains unchanged. And that is true of the Son. As the human nature of the man Christ Jesus was in the womb of His mother or was laid in the manger, the eternal Son, the eternal Word of God, experienced no change whatsoever, none, and yet still dwelling bodily in that human, that human form. That's probably bad theology, but you understand what I'm saying. The Son does not change. So God is, here we see, declared to be immutable. The next three passages deal with the immutability of God and how it extends to His self-revelation in His Word. And here, I want to dig in a little bit, and if we run out of time, we'll, we'll quit. The first one is 1 Samuel 15, 29, and, uh, and we'll turn to some others. First Samuel 15, 29, also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So we see God will not lie. That's the reference to His Word. God is truth. He always speaks the truth. His Word will always be the truth. As for immutability, God will not change His mind. In other words, God does not say one thing or declare one thing and then change His mind and say, what is it? I'm going to do something different. God doesn't do that. There's no change in God. He is immutable. Not only in His nature, but also in all that He says. If He says it, it is. It is so. It cannot be retracted. It cannot be taken, uh, taken away or changed. Now the note in the workbook here brings up a common question. I'll read it and then we'll look at the Scripture references that He gives. And then I'll, I'll read His comments on those texts as we look at those texts. We'll kind of be back and forth. The note says, This verse declares that God is not man that He should change His mind. From this passage and others, it is clear that God's immutability extends even to His counsel and will. He is perfect in wisdom and therefore does not err in what He decrees. He is all-powerful and is therefore able to do all that He has decided. And then here's the question that it brings up. But how do we reconcile this teaching with other scriptures that seem to teach the contrary? And then he gives three examples. Let's look at them. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. As we walk through these, I want you to notice that these are all uh, narrative descriptions of God dealing with men. Just keep that in mind. Genesis 6, verses 5 to 7, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. The question, God says He doesn't change. says He doesn't change His mind. says what goes forth it stands forever. Well, here we got a text where God did something and He came back later and said, 
I'm sorry. Almost like I wish I hadn't done it. How do we reconcile these things? Well, if we take that passage at face value, we just read it just like it, like it lays on the page, we read no further into, into the words than what's here, not only would this directly contradict other passages of Scripture, we have a clear and obvious contradiction, and not only would it challenge the immutability of God, saying that God here, we see Him changing, it would also lead us to conclude that God does things that He possibly might regret later, as if it were a mistake, like God made a mistake. It would imply that God is not omniscient, because He didn't know beforehand that this mistake would happen. So this is not just immutability that's at stake here. This is there are many attributes of God, really, who God is completely. The note says, Genesis 6-6, simply refers to God's holy response to man's sin and His determination to blot out man from the face of the earth. Now, based on what we've already seen, and this is why confessional and creedal theology is important, did God change? No. That's always how it works. Always. Is there a change in God? No. Okay, well, we've got to deal with the text. We can deal with the text. We can deal with that. But God's already said, I, the Lord, do not change. That doesn't change. So then our way of reading texts like this has to be more than just what's on the surface. God's eternal and immutable justice was merely, was merely met by a change in man for the worse. In other words, man, the creature, changed. Man got worse. And well, what does that meet with? Well, God is eternally and immutably just, and therefore God's justice, when it hits or uh, beholds or takes in that sinfulness of man, well, it, it, it presents God as being disposed differently now to those sinful creatures. Well, because He is, because they, they have sinned. God has not sinned, but they have sinned. And this language of God being sorry or, or uh, it repented the Lord or the Lord regretted, this is another anthropomorphism. This is Moses describing this interaction, describing what's going on between God and the creature using human language. Now, Why, why would he do this? Well, when, when men repent or regret, there is a change of action. Something happens that's different than what was before that proves there was true repentance. It proves there's actual regret. God's disposition toward man appears to have changed. Not because God changed, but because man changed. From our perspective, this looks like or appears to be a change of mind. It appears to be repentance. We would say it was almost like he was sorry at what he had done. There is no change in God. The creature changed. Again, it's describing God's action as He deals with mutable creatures. I used the illustration last time, I think, of a, a body of water, a pond, if you will. And, and the top of the water, on, a, on a, a calm day, people say it was like glass. It's not moving. But if you go across the water in a depth finder, you would see that the bottom of the the the, the body of water might be changing. It's shallow, and then maybe it goes really deep and shallow. And, and the, the water is, 
two feet deep here. It's 12 feet deep here, 30 feet deep, six feet deep. It looks like there's this great change. The change is not in the top of the water. The change is in the, in the bottom of the water. That's why we would say there are different depths, not like the, the water is going higher or lower. Similar with God, there, there, a change in the creature manifests a, a difference of disposition in God, but it's not that God has changed. The creature has changed. Another example that's given is Exodus 32. So turn there with me. Exodus 32 verses 9 to 14. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Now we'll get to this in a minute, but, but even that statement right there, it, it, it's almost as if God is he's just throwing out a little uh, hook, line, and sinker to see if Moses will bite. That... that that statement right there won't fly, and I'll show you in a minute why. Then Moses, because we've often, we've often wondered, well, why couldn't God do this? Why couldn't He? He's got a man right here. Why couldn't He just do it? He, he can't. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a great mighty hand? Or with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying... With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land of which I, spoke, I have spoken I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he had said he would do to his people. The note says this, in Exodus 32, 9 to 14, God, quote, changed his mind with regard to Israel's destruction as a gracious answer to Moses' prayer, and then in parentheses, a prayer that God led and empowered Moses to pray. Now we see in the prayer Moses appealed to a promise God had already made. To Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And God had sworn by Himself. This is not something God had forgotten. Now, again, we tend to think, well, why can that not still work with Moses? Is Moses not of, of the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, the, remember, Jacob said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Moses was a Levite. It, it won't work. God's already made the promise. The people can't be destroyed. It, it, it won't work. So he's, he's drawing God's attention back to what He had already promised He would do. God had made a covenant with the patriarchs. And so to destroy Israel now would bring reproach upon God's name. Yeah, but it would, it would be God breaking a promise. Moses then uses that as leverage in his prayer. Now it says God changed His mind, which is not possible. Well, how do we know God didn't change His mind? Because He already promised He was going to do otherwise. If, if we take it again at face value, this would not only destroy immutability, but also omniscience and, and other attributes of God. 
So it's, it's best to take it, number one, it's another anthropomorphism. This is a description of God's actions in human terms. But it's also, and this is helpful, an, an illustration of how God ordains to use the prayers of His people in the very outworking of His unchangeable plans. God knew Israel would sin. God decreed that Moses would pray. God gave Moses the prayer, then acted in accord with that prayer because that prayer was in accord with what God had already said He was going to do. We see the flip side of this in Jeremiah 15.1. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. That's completely different. God says, I don't care who comes and prays. They're done. Now why? What's what's the difference? Again, God had already given His covenantal threatenings. They broke the covenant, therefore they have to be punished. It doesn't matter who prays at this point because God has to be faithful to what He has said. God has not changed. Even though in in the working out of history... We as creatures, what we observe is it it appears to be changes. The last one is Jonah 3.10. Let's look at that one. Jonah 3.10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Now if we look back at verse 4 of that chapter, God had uh, sent Jonah to preach, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When we see how God responded to their repentance we learn that this threat of judgment, like all threats of judgment, are contingent upon man's willingness to repent. If we just stop and say, wait a second, why did he send a prophet? Why would he send Jonah? If God has declared he's going to destroy people and and it's, it's an unqualified, this is happening no matter what, why send a prophet? The whole point was, there's a contingency here. God has sent a man to say, uh, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. And what did they do? They repented because that was the purpose of sending the prophet. Though it's not stated, that, that's obvious uh, that what's happening. The condition is shown in, in how it worked out. And the note says in Jonah 3, 4, and 10, God simply relented from destroying Nineveh when Nineveh relented from its sin. When the creature changed, God's apparent disposition uh, I should say God's disposition apparently changed or there was an apparent change in God. And I told you to notice how each of these passages are describing God dealing with the creature. If we, we could almost picture the eternal God reaching inside of mutable creation and dealing with His creatures. That's what's being described here. These texts are... Spirit-inspired human accounts of God's actions. The course of actions in time and providence by a God who is eternal and immutable are incomprehensible to man. All we have is our language. All we have is what we know. 
So these men, under the inspiration of the Spirit, describe these actings of God in the way that it would appear to mutable creatures. There's no way that we can describe this without using the language of change. We're forced to use anthropomorphisms because we are anthropos. We're, We're men. Do you see how that's different than I, the Lord, do not change? Different uh, methods or modes of revelation, different ways of God conveying what's happening. That's not a statement about God's dealings with man. That's a statement about God's nature. I, the Lord, do not change. So here's the principle. Direct statements about God's nature are always meant to serve as the lens through which we read the accounts of God's acting within His creation and with men. In other words, again, we start with, I, the Lord, do not change. We start there. Did God change? No. All right, this text seems to say that God's changing. Well, it can't mean that. It has to mean something else. And so then we we use that as the interpretive uh, grid, we might say. It has to be interpreted in light of the fact that God's already said He doesn't change. I'll I'll finish this, this comment quickly. Do the Scriptures contradict themselves? That, that's another no. Do the, do the Scriptures contradict themselves? No. We don't even have to think about it. Does God indeed change His mind? No. There's no change in God. The answer is not as complex or mysterious as one might think. The Scriptures clearly teach that God's perfections, purposes, and promises are always the same. But this does not mean that His relationship with and disposition toward His ever-changing creation cannot vary. These passages are reminders to us that the immutability of God does not equate to immobility, as in God doesn't move or interact in any way, shape, or form. He does not change, but He is not static, apathetic, or uninvolved with His creation. He is dynamic and interacts with His creation. He is always the same, but His relationship and dealings with mutable men will vary according to how they respond to Him. This is not a contradiction to his immutability, but a proof of it. He will always respond to men's actions in a manner consistent with his unchanging attributes. Let me read you these these final two texts in this section. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has He spoken and will He not make it good? God does not lie. God does not repent. Why? Because He's not a man. Nature of men, changing. Liars. We repent. We make mistakes. God's not that. He doesn't lie. What God has said, He must make good because His Word is immutable. Psalm 33, 9-11, For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. The counsel of the Lord, the plans of His heart, they stand forever. Unchangeable, immutable. Compare this with the story of Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Remember, they would make claims to the unchangeable laws of the Medes and the Persians. I've made this decree. I can't change it. That's the rules of the Medes and the Persians. I don't make it up. I just follow the rules. But what could he do? He could give another decree 
that would contradict the first one, apply pressure or, or push back against the first one. Not so with God. Proverbs 21.30 No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. What He has said, what He has decreed, what He has declared, He does. No pushing back, no thwarting, no changing. It's settled. Let me conclude with this. You can, you can look at the rest of the chapter on your own. With God there is no changing. It's not possible for Him to change. There's no change of location, no change in power, no change in knowledge, no change in goodness, no change in His grace, no change in His mercy. There's no abatement in God, no wear and tear, no fading, no lessening of any perfection over time. God is immutable with regard to His love and affections for His people. His covenant and the blessings attached to it are eternally settled, fixed in the heavens. And this is a great foundation of our hope. God describes Himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that's really good news to us. But if it were possible that tomorrow He ceased to be any one of these things, it would be horrific for us. As we saw, God says, or it says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Wonderful blessing. But if sometime tonight while I'm sleeping or while you're sleeping, God could possibly change and cease being our refuge, it's horrifying. It's no longer comforting. Nothing we can say about God is good news if He can change. It, it all crumbles. I'll close with this quote from Swinnick. Our Father of lights is not variable. He knows no rising or setting, no increasing or decreasing, but shines always with the same light and luster, with the same beauty and brightness. Well, let's pray and then we'll sing.